This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 2nd, 2018. And uh, I am connecting with my co-host, who is at the moment all the way across on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And then the Indian Ocean, and I think you hit Southeast Asia in there somewhere. He is in India, joining us because of the marvels of the intellect, offering us brand new and exciting opportunities to have the show crippled by technical difficulties. I'm excited to see exactly what Connecting to India will do. Hello. Am I coming through? Yes, yes you are. I am literally on the other side of the world and thanks to the magic of the international dateline, we are broadcasting from the future. Dun, dun, dun. It's 11.30 p.m. here in Hyderabad uh, where I've been uh, sent out for uh, clandestine operations for my work. And uh, and I'm happy to be able to join the show before catching some Z's. Um, how how was uh, how has been your trip been so far? Uh, it's been a great trip. Uh, it's mostly been work, but I spent a little bit of time in Europe. I uh, saw Tallinn in Estonia. I saw Helsinki in Finland, and uh, I just spent the past week out here in India. Uh, it's my first time out there. There's been lots of great stuff to see uh, and, uh, you know, people to meet and food to eat. Uh, not much in the way of geeking and gaming, but uh, I think that's just because I've been working too much. Um, are you going to have a chance to do any sightseeing while you're in India? Yeah, I just spent today uh, seeing all the local stuff. Uh, being Saturday, I'm sorry, for everybody listening, the future. Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I spent today uh, doing tourism stuff, saw a lot of the things around. Are you going to be able to see, like, the Taj Mahal before you go? Well, uh, unfortunately, the Taj Mahal's a few hours away in a different part of India. So uh, I've seen a few, uh, quite a few similar palaces uh, today. Um, I'm trying to think. You're coming through oh, clearly. Okay. I'm disappointed it, almost. Isn't this, isn't this great? Okay, well, get ready for disappointment. You ready for disappointment? Because on the long flights, I've been catching up on some of the films <laughs> on the show that we, uh, and we may have to do a whole episode on this in the future, but uh, I need you to know, listening audience, I, I saw last year's uh, Ridley Scott movie, Alien Covenant. For it the first good. time. For the first time. It was good. And, and I Thank saw, you. and I saw, I, I'm not kidding you guys. I saw Batman versus Superman. I said, what the heck? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm on this flight for 10 hours. I'm just going to do it. It was good. It was really good. <laughs> I can't ask Stockholm that. Syndrome has set in. After, right. after, after Man of Steel disappointed me so much, I skipped it. And then Justice League was a complete garbage. They they wanted an Avengers movie. The studio wanted an Avengers movie so bad, they completely botched the DC extended universe. 
but the movie in the middle, Batman versus Superman with Ben Affleck as uh, Batman, it was good. I couldn't believe it. Um, what else did you see? You saw, you saw Atomic Blonde. I know you mentioned that. Yeah, I saw Atomic Blonde and Ratatouille and, and one or two others that I, I don't remember right now. Oh, no, see, Ratatouille is really good. I'm a big fan of Ratatouille. Those are good. Uh, sh shall, shall we say hello to our, our wonderful guest uh, evening slash morning? Sure, why not? Hello. Uh, hi there. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. hey, hey, D hey, DW, you know this guy. You should give the introduction. Uh, this is Ben. Yep. He's a writer. Yep. Um, he also hosts the new Superversive Sunday podcasts. Yep. Um, and he wrote in, I believe, issue six of Kursova Magazine, um, which uh, issue eight, by the way, has just gone on sale on Amazon. So you should definitely check that out. And uh, Kursova also has a Indiegogo, I believe, that's running right now for uh, the third volume of a classic series he's bringing back. So go check that out, too. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm in Kursova. I know I've reviewed I've reviewed Kursova. Hold on, which issue did you say I was in? Six. Is, where did you publish Shake of Mars? I read that. Astounding Frontiers. Oh. There we go. That would be the other magazine I read that forgot. <laughs> okay. It's okay. That's uh, it's probably one of those things we're just gonna have to leave there for a bit. I'm I'm sad. I was sad about Astounding Frontiers not doing well. Um. But it, yeah. fell in, it fell into that ghetto of books that Amazon only recommends other books from the same publisher. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was unfortunate. It is, because we had, like, Galaxy's Edge in it. Like, how could we not succeed? But, eh, that's all right. Chica Mars is out, though, which, is, which makes me happy. In book form. Yep. Paperback um, and Kindle edition. It's great. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Absolutely. So, stories. What I did was I melded Princess of Mars and Arabian Nights. You know, Thousand and One Tales, whatever you want to call it. It's got all the good swashbuckling, all the good adventure, all the good rescuing the uh, damsel from kidnappers, uh, who are of course in overbearing power over the protagonist. Uh, to Combining it with the excellent uh, wordplay, diction, and beats of Arabian Nights fantasy, which sadly has mostly passed away from the earth, except in the re-re-re-re-translation or reprinting, so on and so forth, of Arabian Nights. We start off with our protagonist, Harun Rashid, and he falls in love with, as, as young men do, with a beautiful Zira al-Zuwar, uh, and he must you know, get into a relationship with her, have his granddad set up uh, relations with the family, you know, you know, the real boring, boring stuff about that. So, you know, there's a wedding. And then I get her kidnapped by motorcycle uh, riding marauders led by the Prince of Mars, Ahmed al-Shah, who is rebelling against his father because his lust for Zira has overcome his uh, mental faculties. And, of course, that leads to an excellent, excellent, 
chase scene uh, in the canyons of the Golgai Soul Sea uh, of Mars on the between uh, the mountain Hestia and Olympus Mons, where they are desperate to get her back, but also desperate not to cause her harm because, you know, she's not wearing a helmet on her motorcycle, you know, kidnapped or otherwise, you know, it's not proper motorcycle safety. Which leads then... No, uh, the safety standards on Mars are really lax. Oh, I bet. <laughs> they get away with everything there. You know, it's one of those things. You don't have a proper OSHA standards. You know, then we have, like, walkways over vats of acid. You know what? One thing leads to another. You know, I, you know, I can only think of my past week here in India when you're talking about this, right? Right. There's a... Um, I had a joke while you were talking about it in my head about, you know, you'll only last until a cow eats the uh, internet cord and they won't punish it either. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true that I've only seen a few of them, but they just sort of walk down the street. Oh yeah. There's a, I can't remember what the name of the movie is, but there's a movie about a, a Westerner who goes to India to set up a call center and he's inspecting the grounds. And he's looking around, he's like, hey, what's that cow doing there? Oh, that is just the sacred cow of Delhi. You know, you just kind of have to let it go how it is, you know, my friend. And so it, you know, it will keep constructing once it wanders off. And it's already like over budget and behind schedule. And there's just this cow in the middle of where they're trying to pour concrete. It's, it's, it's very funny. Um, so right. now I that I've got you totally, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So there's, so I have I have this great motorcycle chase, and I'm sort of describing uh, what happens, and, and I'll I'll stop in a minute, but I, I have the protagonist uh, meet a spy, of his father's, because his father is a military man, uh, who lets him into the palace of the Sheik of Mars, and that's when I really open up the descriptions and the. Uh, sword fighting and the uh, blood and guts and uh, slight intrigue. I'm not a very good intrigue writer, but there's, I like to think I sprinkle just the right amount into it. Um, <laughs> overall, I, I spent a lot of time on this. It's a, it's a short book. It's only like 150 pages, about 60K plus words. Um, but I spent a lot of time like massaging uh, a lot of like pro Christian. Uh, and Islamic like warfare information into it. Like I make sure that various characters are good because they are, uh, you know, because of their morals and of their character and all that jazz, not just because this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, which is always great to have. Uh, but I like to think that with this book, you know, I not only gave proper justification for as many sword fights as I could reasonably put into it. And, uh, you know, create something that has sort of deeper meanings into it. Like, there's a lot of, like, worry about the current, uh, you know, migrant crisis and all that jazz uh, with the effects to culture and stuff like that. And I like to think that I made an accurate representation of what uh, goes on in a Islamic-controlled society where... The Sheik of Mars, like, he meets the protagonist, as you should always have a scene where the dread overlord meets the dashing young hero. And he goes, you know, if it wasn't for your father, you know, saving me all those years ago in the wars, you know, I would have, you know, taken you for my Janissary Corps. You know, blah, blah, you know. And I use it to create this scene where, 
you know, it's it's like his overbearing will against the protagonist who can't stand up against him per se because he is merely a youth and a young one at that, you know, only 15 years old or so. But at the same time, he can still rebuke the Sheik of Mars uh, for his lawless deeds, even, uh, you know, uh, desecrating weddings and uh, other sacred events on Mars celebrated by both Christians and Muslims, um, which I, I always felt was a pretty good touch. My favorite, uh, everyone's favorite scene, of course, is the nanotechnological genie who controls the repair systems in the uh, power, geothermal power plants beneath Olympus Mons. The protagonist uh, goes on a side adventure to cripple the power supply so that the Sheik of Mars loses control to his artillery pieces and can no longer, you know, power them up to fire them at his father's rebel army, uh, who are desperate to save his son and his son's wife, uh, because this is, of course, the last straw uh, for, you know, uh, Ahmed al-Shah, the bad prince of Mars, has been t uh, taken more than a few uh, pretty young daughters of other noblemen and uh, rulers of Mars under the Sheik's control. And so he goes down after disabling the uh, uh, power supply, mostly by accident, but, you know, he, 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 his goal was to disable it, but, you know, so, you know, he's like, eh, I did it, you know. Um, where he, he goes down to the depths of Olympus Mons, uh, lost and wandering within the cave systems where he meets uh, the repair systems, which... Uh, is personified by a genie because the people who created all this uh, went for, you know, kind of an Arabian aesthetic because, you know, Mars is still kind of mostly desert. Uh, they're, they're able to build farms and stuff like that, but they had this, I want the, um, I wanted the scientists who settled Mars to have a bit of romance about them, that they created things and then the subsequent ruler of Mars inhabited them and turn them to their own purposes. Except for, of course, this genie. And this genie uh, helps and empowers the hero to continue on his, uh, you know, rescue deeds and uh, brave uh, actions and sword fights, because, you know, there's more sword fights to go. Um, <laughs> until... You know, we reached a climax, which I, I think I did great, and it really does need to be seen, because not only do I uh, hit the protagonist physically against the Mad Prince Ahmed al-Shah, I also uh, hit him against him philosophically and theologically as well, so that there's always more layers going on there. You can enjoy Sheik of Mars for the sword fighting, you can enjoy it for the, for the deeper laying, you can enjoy it for the, the things I do with the art objects within the uh, thing. Uh, honestly, it's it's pretty good, and you know, like there's stylistically, I do oh, try to go. What's up? Let me ask you a question, Ben, because um, that I, I I really dig this the cyber genie idea. Mm -hmm. Like between between that and and the you know the uh, action, I'm really interested, but I I haven't picked up on what makes Mars. A good setting or, or the right setting for this book. So, 
So uh, I under, I get the a thousand and one Arabian Nights influences, but but where does Mars come in as as a setting or a character? Mars is sort of in the background at all times. The reason I chose Mars is because I'm working. It's part of a larger universe of books that I'm writing. Uh, that like this is just kind of a standalone like quasi prequel. It's not really a prequel because it's you know the Sheik of Mars' own story, but he shows up in other books. And this, uh, I've actually written the book of like the main series called Jasper Silver Escape from Earth, which is about a kid who's turned into a nanotechnological being. And it's as much about like whether or not the soul exists and how it inhabits the person and whether or not it's affected by how much cybernetics we put into, as it is a kid just trying to escape the people who turned him into uh, a monstrosity. Um, no, that's a good one. That, that, that comes through in a lot of... Uh, games uh, and fiction related to cyberpunk mm -hmm. uh, where you you replace your body with metal and 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 uh, most of those most of those fiction are written by um atheists or new age guys who who do just talk about the humanity of it uh, rather right. than than this than the soul stuff so so what's your take on that in the book in, in that book, it's that we do have souls and that uh, our ability to connect and grow as a person is directly inhibited by our uh, level of cybernetics. Uh, I sort of like show off various stages of it from the absolute limit of the Silicon Soul Transhumanist Society, which I, I think I should call them, I'm sort of like dancing on the line of whether I call them super, sil Silicon Soul or Transhumanists. Um, but you know that's that's that that's something I'll fix later. Uh, but I have Jasper Silver being uh, a man. He can he his technology is that his entire body cell in the cellular structure has been replaced by nanotechnology. He has nanotechnological mitochondria, his nanotechnological uh, nuclei, so on and so forth. And you know it's combined with an incredibly robust uh, resurrection system provided that he has the resources around his uh, wounded body, that it'll repair itself. Uh, so that's like, that's the conceit there. Um, and uh, the transhumanists wanted him because they felt that they could get another level, level of power. But because they're soulless and uh, amoral, because they can no longer grow and all their worst traits have become amplified by their lack of the ability to sort of not choose good, but grow into good, to say, I am a moral person, therefore I do not do this. They cannot come to the conclusion that whether or not they are a moral person, therefore they should or should not do that. And morality does come into Sheik of Mars, because i got to tie this back. Uh, Mars was chosen mostly because I love the aesthetic, and because I did want... Um, certain people on certain planets for certain reasons. I, not that it matters in Sheik of Mars, but I put the Scottish people in the asteroid belt. Uh, India, uh, Hindu uh, types are on Saturn and others. Asians are on Neptune and Uranus. Um, so on and so forth uh, in various different ways. Uh, Japanese are just like spacefarers. Um, Maybe I'll put them on Pluto or something. Well, that's that's kind of interesting. That reminds me of uh, Ender's Game, and well, well, actually, Speaker for the Dead, Orson Scott Card's book. Only he sort of he sort of invented a planet for each nation that was just a planet for that nation. 
uh, which which I thought was really kind of weird and 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 hokey. The the people who originally hailed from Scandinavia on Earth went to an icy planet with, you know, a ring of of temperate a temperate zone at the equator, and and the this the book was set on basically Brazil world, where uh, you know the yeah. most of the characters are Brazil Portuguese. I thought that was kind of hokey, but you just you just took the solar system and you're like, all right, we're just going to spread these guys out. Yeah. And it's like Jupiter is like mostly like white Anglo sort of thing. But even then, it, it's not specifically that like Arabia, like Mars is very much like a uh, Muslim inspired Islam, uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, but it has like the full diversity of the Middle East. Like there's every color of the rainbow there. Um, whether it's just travelers who establish themselves to various Semitic peoples, to the Bedouin, to Africans, to this and that, you know, it's, it's, it really is like, and I, I want to say like, like the problem is like saying like diversity is kind of a poisoned word for this stuff. But it's like, if we look back in time, you would have like a uh, Saudi Arabian gentleman at, at the top of the pile because he's somehow related to Muhammad. And then he'd have like a Jewish advisor. And then he would have like, you know, his um, Iranian like scholars and, you know, he would have some black slaves. Um, you know, I, I do, by the way, like the Arabian word for black is the same as their word for slave. Like it's, they're very racist people. It's, um, even more so than the typical, than the tip than is typical for uh, like Asians or other other types. Um, so I, I I draw from that all the time. Like there's no point in time when I sort of like diverge from it. I am incredibly hello Bradford. Uh, I am incredibly careful when it comes to suspension of disbelief and my metaphorical consistency as weird as that sounds like i am as interested in creating a good story as i am interested in creating good art um we we talked about this jason like when you were on the live stream which by the way doors always open it's not like i've got like a, a giant like roster i can you know pull from um the uh, the art that was has been lost, the art of writing that has been lost over time, you know, involves this sort of thing. Like they became so, like the establishment, I guess I'll say, um, became so consumed with like their diversity, their good thought speak, their tearing down of the sacred cows. And I don't mean sacred cows. I should rather say tearing down of the cathedrals. Um, that they destroyed a lot of what made literature great. That is the subtle way to put meaning and ideas and philosophy and art and so many other things into it without deliberately, without deliberately like beating you over the head with it. Like I in Jasper's in Sheik of Mars, like people talk about oh the oppression, but then I have a scene where there's they've infiltrated the throne room of the Sheik of Mars hiding in among the crowd because they have to get to the harem to get to uh, Zir al-Zawar uh, before she's, of course, ravished or to take revenge for her if she is. Uh, not that I really talk about that specifically, I just imply that, but uh, where they see the Sheik of Mars's face 
on a television screen. And it is held up by a black marble sculpture and a white marble sculpture of two slaves groaning under the weight. Like, that's pretty, that's kind of explicit, but then it's, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing you can do with it. You can't create something in a movie, and then it's like, you know, I, I don't think, you know, these giant marble statues can be held up by such and such, or I don't know if the technology is possible or whatever. You know, you can just do it. You know, you can, nobody, nobody will question whether or not the proper supports are in there because their minds will fill in the tools necessary for the statues to exist. Therefore, you could have the image of the sheik oppressing uh, all men under him in a, in a way that has meaning to it and reinforces whatever ideas you're putting into the story. Uh, one of the things I love Galaxy's Edge. It is it is the Star Wars we don't deserve, uh, but thank God it's there. Uh, but it's for me a lot of it's 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 like popcorn or a, a McDonald's burger or something like that. It's great. It's amazing. I could eat this forever because uh, I do love McDonald's, um, like unironically or any, anything like that. Like I just love it. You know it's. So, uh, egg McMuffin or sausage biscuit? Uh, sausage biscuit. No, what's the other one? Egg McMuffin or sausage biscuit? No, I don't like the muffins or the the biscuits. It's the one that uh that see, tastes like syrup. Hot. Oh, the McGriddles. There we go, McGriddle. That's good. Those are pretty good. Oh yeah. Whenever I go from like St. Louis to KC in a day, I usually get a McGriddle. Um, I love fast food. I need to They've... stop it. <laughs> but uh, let, me, let me get back to what I was saying before I lose the thought too much. Um, Galaxy's Edge is, is a great book. It has all the great adventure, all the great shootouts. Tyrus Rex is one of the best characters to come out of that in, like, years, in that sort of, like, genre. Uh, and it's so good that I actually have problems reading, like, other people, and it's like, ah, it's just not as good as Galaxy's Edge. You know, and it's like, oh... But there's a lot of meaning that I'm not getting out of Galaxy's Edge. It is merely a fun adventure book, and we need that right now. But if there's no like deeper art to it, if there's no deeper art to this or that, it will only be remembered as the best of the pulp revolution or whatever we're calling uh, this. You know, which is I think a very sad sort of state of affairs. I want, as a writer, to put meaning back into literature in a way that means something, not as, like, me jacking off about whatever morality the good thought thinkers are on about. And, you know, like, guess what, guys? You know, you're ruining, you're ruining literature for everyone because now I can't talk properly about how the, the uh, Sheik of Mars oppresses, you know, Christians, blacks, uh, Asians, anyone who comes across him, you know, or crosses him, or even like looks askance at his direction. Like, I have guards take away a guy who was tripped uh, in his in the Sheik of Mars's presence. Like, there's no amount of cruelty that this guy won't stoop to. I won't talk too much about it, but there's a scene where like you get into the underground torture basements, and I just go whole hog on that stuff. It's we, but we're in we're in a situation where 
if you have that sort of oppressive government uh, in in modern film or, or literature, it's okay if it's uh, a Christian oppressor or mm-hmm. an, an atheist oppressor such as, you know, uh, equilibrium or those sort of futuristic dystopias, 1984. Yep. But if it's if it's any if it's any other modern day religion or culture, it's it becomes problematic. Yep. You, you it, can't paint you can't paint the others as the bad guys, except for the Brits. Uh, villains and <laughs> movies are still British. And but the thing is, that's exactly what I did in Sheik of Mars. And these these things that we have to fight against you know they control everything even to the language even to use the language of things they consider bad is itself tainted there's not much we can like do about it but except to like produce better art than them and eventually bury them under the weight of our success um maybe that day comes soon but it's it's the fact that they burned down the old school that we have to rebuild it now, people can do it through pulp rev or through writing really great uh, 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 detective fiction or this or that, but there's also like an art level that isn't pretentious assholery. You know, that isn't being like some, oh, look at me, I made a, a piss cross, you know, or whatever nonsense that people are on about once the edge fades, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cut myself on that edge, hombre. Um, that I, I think needs to be retaken. Like, I think the last bastion that, because we've already, like, conquered adventure fiction of uh, at least the science fiction nature with military sci-fi predominating, um, uh, dominating, I, I don't know why I said predominating, um, the Amazon charts by, like, half a million sales. Uh, which I need to write if I want to be successful, I guess, but I don't have any stories about it in me, so I'm not going to write it. Eh. Um, the last sort of tower we'll have to take from the SJWs and the, and the liberals and all that jazz will be the literary one. It'll be the one where literature has meaning, and it's not just hero gets sword and has adventures, uh, it'll and you know Conan walks into a bar, kills everyone, takes the money, and leaves with the women uh, on his horse. Um, it'll be like, like I, I don't even have the like the words to describe it, uh, because it, it's all sounding so tainted. Tainted. Like, let's say, are you guys familiar with the last uh, Avalon? Uh, sorry, the last closet uh, by Moore, uh, Grayland Pete. Uh, I've never read it, but I know what it's about. Right. I, I won't go into it too much because it, it is it is a, a, a sordid tale. Uh, but that sort of thing, but fictionized, where it's about the abuse and the destruction that, say, homosexuality causes uh, the people around them and themselves. Uh, but it's not literally this uh, woman's story or this person's story or anything like that, this man's story. It's about like people in a, not a supernatural environment, but as say like the abuse grows deeper, the world becomes more and more supernatural. And it isn't like some priest who's abusing a boy or this, you know, um, 
school teacher running off with a 15-year-old student or whatever. It's literal persistent evil. And it's an evil that's, quote-unquote, protected by the powers that be. Like, eventually, things like that will have to be written if we can say we have taken back this part of the culture. Now, of course, I, I do plan on writing that someday because that's, that's the example I have to hand. Uh, but it would have an artistic quality to it that would stand up to the ages. Galaxy's Edge will stand up to the ages, I, I personally think. It'll be as, as popular, I think, in the long term as Star, the good Star Wars Extended Universe fiction is, like I, Jedi, and um, the X-Wing series, and uh, uh, Heir to the Empire. But it still is adventure sci-fi. It still doesn't bring out the absolute best of things that we can do with literature. I'm not going to claim that Sheik of Mars is the best thing that we can do with literature, but it is part of my my attempts, which I'll never stop trying to attempting, to create something like like John C. Wright's literature, except of the millennial generation, to create something that has meaning and can be reread and gain more meaning from it, and the metaphors are correct, and everything flows together like some sort of orchestra. It's like some sort of like musical piece where all the moving parts bring and create certain emotions and certain thought patterns and certain desires out of it. It's not enough that we you know, be heroes. We must be heroes. We must be on the side of good and fight good and destroy evil and, and you know, never allow evil to take a foothold while we can, but it's enough that we have to also rebuild the cathedrals and the, the buildings and the architecture and the art that has been burned and destroyed by those uh, who are in power right now. Like it's, it's, if, if, you know, like I, I've, if people ask, you know, I say, you know, well, my goal is to be the greatest millennial writer of it. Like I'm not going to beat out, a lot of people for a very long time but you know in the end when i die that's what i want and this is this is part of it this is also part of like the culture war this is part of the spiritual war this is there's so many layers to this selfishly i want to die a millennial grandmaster of literature not just literature i don't mean it like in some sort of like dry professor sleeps around with the students and then learns a terrible life lesson in the sense of like these things are valuable to be read these things are valuable to be passed on to the next generation a professor sleeping around with the students and then learning an invaluable lesson about you know syphilis doesn't do that doesn't do that at all i think it's disappointing that that's that's a lot of it like there's southern gothic and which is about like sort of like um, supernatural and horror happening in the like the deep south, and there's a series about like um, yeah I'll cut off my ear too Jackson, um, <laughs> put out my eyes so I can write better, uh, see it with my mind's eye. Um, oh, <laughs> where. You know, it was about abuse, but it was also kind of like it was whites abusing their children, and it, there wasn't anything else really to it. It was like uh, some it, like it was one big attack on the Methodists, uh, basically. Um, 
and I'm not I'm not a Methodist to defend them, but it like it was it was a story that was promoted within liberal circles that you know was shown as the example of it. Barack Obama took it when he went to Mar Martha's Vineyard, which was to me just the stupidest kind of um, cult of personality BS that I had ever heard. I was in college at the time, and I. You know, like I was, I was actually take like my minors, in, uh, my majors in history and my minors in creative writing, but uh, which was dumb. It was, it was. Oh, I'm sorry. Dumb, right? I didn't even realize it until I was like the last year, and it was too late to do anything but finish it because I had all my loans already. Like it, it was, it was a nasty state of affairs. But you know, like to see these things, like I appreciated, like it was valuable in the sense of I appreciated what like good writing was and I got to see what was bad writing, good writing and how to correct yourself and what to look out for. But at the same time, like it's just, no, thank you. Not again. Um, please. No. Uh, so yeah, that's how it is. Like if, if you want to support like a higher, higher level of like writing and, and to see if we can, sort of take back that that tower that where literature has meaning again and it's not just like a great adventure film because uh in writing form and don't get me wrong i i love good adventure film in writing form but also it's more and deeper and stronger and allegorical and metaphorical and and has things that make it make it so valuable to own and to read again and again and again that you know, it cannot be denied its cultural relevance. So when I think about the way we consume those sorts of stories these days through mass media products like Amazon and going to the cinema mm -hmm. and watching films and that sort of thing, uh, it makes me wonder, uh, how do you see that happening? How do you see meaningful literature, as you described it, coming about again when uh, the way we experience it is mass media, mass market, and impersonal? Ultimately, my hope, like, ultimately, I don't expect to be successful in this life. Uh, I hope that things will happen that changes how we consume it. Because in Amazon, the algorithm and the choices that are made do not promote um, small authors unless they hit the right checkboxes, from what I can tell. Uh, I've watched the Nicole Geek Gab, which is such an invaluable lesson. Uh, such a, like it is, it is immensely valuable to me. Uh, I know what my flaws are in the Sheik of Mars release. That is to say, Superversive SF doesn't really have a good newsletter yet. Uh, I'm actually writing one, and I'll be doing that after I'm done here. Uh, and uh, I don't have much of a social media presence. No one here is, is going for the Ben Wheeler brand, which is fine, because all I've done is really short stories so far. Uh, and I mean it in the sense of more than like 100 people. If I have 100 sales, I'll be surprised. Uh, I think the change will come over time uh with the with amazon it's a matter of whether or not they'll try to push down uh the small author and the conservative and all this jazz whether they'll decide that you know what we can live without their money in which case we'll create 
our own thing or it'll just fall apart. In which case, I hope I can figure out how to get books into libraries. Uh, my eventual goal is to learn bookbinding and uh, create um, books, like physical copies of books that are of high quality and look good to put on a shelf. Uh, because, you know, some of the things that Amazon prints out just is only serviceable, uh, which I hope, I hope has some merit to it. Uh, honestly, maybe I'm just grasping at straws and everything, and I'm a complete idiot. I don't know anything about anything except how to write. Um, in which case, hey, you know, that's, that's pretty nice. I think we still have a long way to go, and the tiger still has a lot of energy in that we're riding still has a lot of energy into it, um, and we'll just have to see. Like I, I don't really have an answer for that. Uh, I think that as as things go on, like there's, if if I'm right, there's a cycle to it, where we move from pulps and whatnot, where we're tired of stuffy old British people writing. Uh, stuffy old British romances and little orphan girls get every pleasure unless they die of consumption first. Um, you know the type, you know. <laughs> I hope there's good in everyone. But, um, you know, where we went to Pulp, which is about manly men doing manly things and killing their enemies and saving their women and all that jazz and getting rich and killing everyone and riding off into the sunset. Uh where we moved into into more, uh, what was his name? Joseph Campbell pushed everyone into a different, from what I understand of the history, and uh, pushed everyone into a different mindset. Whereas he he left behind some of the adventure stuff and promoted like Robert uh, Heinlein and stuff like that, who had like I'm not gonna I don't, like Robert H Heinlein is so. Robert A. Heinlein, excuse me, is is weird because he promoted like conservative libertarian stuff, as I understand it, uh, citizen soldiers and starship troopers and so on and so forth, and the American Revolution on the moon, and uh, the moon is a harsh mistress, uh, which I, which is one of my favorite sci-fi books of all time. But he still promoted his own sexual deviancy within them, um, which I will never do. No, which I will never consciously do. Actually, you know what? I'll make that promise here. You will never be able to consciously guess what my sexual preferences are uh, beyond, of course, being a straight white male um, through my my writing. I just want to make that promise right there. I know this is this is unbelievable that nobody can make that promise and succeed, but I will never consciously put a fetish in there except for monsters. Well, definitely, definitely not science fiction <laughs> authors. You can't trust science fiction authors. Right. And, and the thing is, I'm mostly a fan of science fiction and my knowledge of the history of, of the uh, fiction art is in science fiction. Like, like there's, there's a time and I'm not sure how to quite grasp it or, or like communicate it right, uh, where Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and all these like similar people got published. But Tolkien and C.S. Lewis are the ones that we can remember. Um, and that time passed away around the seventies, I want to say, uh, when they had passed on 
and probably with them a lot of those people who are also producing uh, and promoting children's uh, and good Christian li children's literature and good Christian literature. Um, I should, maybe not children's literature. I don't mean children's literature like like the real young stuff. I mean like the stuff that kids could read because there's like th books like that were written like Granny's Wonderful Chair uh, and The Wishing Chair again and other things like that, which were which, by the way, were a great inspiration to my second book coming out called Seven Siblings. I want to change the name so bad, but I can't think of anything good that grabs me to change it to. Uh, which is about kids going into the forest to say their dad, who was captured by the king of Elfland. But um, I'm actually like four books into what I'm writing. Right now I'm writing Cyber Gothic, uh, which is my attempt to write science fiction gothic literature without vampires. Uh, right, young adult, but not just for girls. Like there's, there's a certain thing that eight-year-old me read that was like kids go on Granny's magical chair, wishing chair, and then go on adventures where they meet the literal income literal incarnation of being good, uh, which is a giant of fairy, of course, um, who I, you know, tipped the hat to when I called uh, the fairy grandmother, goodness gracious me. Uh, grandma, goodness gracious me. Yeah. That's, that, that'll hold up. Um, <laughs> but something happened, and it disappeared. We didn't have the pulps anymore. Uh we didn't have this and that. We didn't have, you know, a certain morality with there. And then we had Isaac uh, Asimov and uh, I, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, who I, I don't know if anything's come out with uh, um, Isaac Asimov, but his son well, uh, held one of the largest uh, child pornography stashes that the police ever uncovered. So I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm willing to... Uh, float something that he he might have been involved in that uh and arthur c clark uh retreated to sri lanka uh to feast on the native uh boys there and other things like that it's like degeneracy took root somewhere around like the 60s and the 70s where we have like you know uh chronicles of narnia has been published uh lord of the rings has been published um you know and they're part of this this grand tradition which reaches back to like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, and then before that, like there's this like flow of it where even if people were was like a, even like H.G. Wells is like a communist, like but he still produced great literature. There's something like I describe it in my mind as a chain. There's some chain that was broken and lost around the time uh, Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein was ascendant we didn't realize it yet because whatever sexual preferences robert h a Heinlein had he didn't um he didn't sacrifice he only put them in there he did not sacrifice the quality of his literature uh most of the time uh, except in uh, stranger in a strange land but that was his intention from the start so it's one of those things that's like an you know sort of thing and with that chain of good wholesome literature broken at, at around that point you know the slacks being taken up i think we lost something in the spirit of the west where our literature could be promoted like it should where the things that we value 
in art, in literature, the things that we can distribute started to pass away slowly but surely. That's why the last one living, last bookstore living is Barnes & Noble, besides, of course, the many used bookstores, which seem to be everywhere, um, kind of. Uh, it, let me see how to say this. Like, because people were no longer producing great literature, not even pulp quality. Like I know, I know, uh, Daddy Warpig loves pulps, and, and there's some there's some choice pulp out there. But you know, these guys were guys who were desperately typing away for like a penny a word or something ridiculous like that. Um, you know, I don't. You know, like there, there's a reason why we remember Conan and uh, Solomon Kane and the other stuff by Robert E. Howard and um, that one fellow who wrote all that detective fiction, uh, Raymond Chandler, I think. No, eh, Silver Jackass is my favorite uh, detective fiction, by the way. Um, he wrote it, the guy wrote it under a pseudonym, which of course I cannot remember for the life of me now that I'm required to, to talk about it on command. Um, and I'm looking at it, I just can't make out the name. <laughs> you know, we don't even have that quality. I think we're returning to a point where pulp will be supreme again, or the new generation of pulp. Like this isn't this isn't like the old stuff. Like it's it's the new stuff, but we're looking back to the old masters to improve upon it to create better parts of ourselves. I think the pinnacle of uh, sort of like the liberal left side, the the side that wants to write good literature, but of course they are now so corrupt, so far from their roots they cannot properly write it, is George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones series. Uh, and typified by, of course, the fact that he is he has writer's block um, uh, and other things, and that he is not able to write his main series, but must write side stories, like the uh, Targaryen book. I've heard about, but I'm not quite sure about. Eh. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's call writer's block getting martined from now on. I'll do that. <laughs> I've, really, I've got a bad case of the martins now. <laughs> At least, you know, like, say what you want about John Scalzi is that he, he did overcome his writer's block. Like, he got the world's biggest ever contract, as I understand it, and then, like, went silent for two years and now he's actually producing stuff it's not good stuff it's not stuff i i i you know like if it was a physical book i wouldn't i wouldn't put it to wipe my butt clean with uh but it is well maybe if i was in russia uh but it is um there there's actually a lot stuff. of that going around um the author of um harry dresden books Hasn't produced anything in about two years. Hasn't released anything since Skin Game. Um, That's true. The uh, Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch published three or four years ago, the last one, and we've heard nothing of them. There's supposed to be six. We haven't heard anything about the last three. Patrick Rothfuss uh, is still laboring away on uh, the third book of the King Killer Chronicles. Uh, Jim Butcher, sorry. That's uh, the writer yeah. of the Harry Dresden series. Um and now, so, I have heard that he is working on it and they're looking at a 2019 release, but I don't, that could be pushed on if he does have writer's block. There's, there's just a lot of yeah, authors. Marcus, excuse me. There's just a lot of authors, uh, most of whom are um, 
And I don't see anything like common connecting them. It's just kind of weird. Yeah. Those weird things. Like, isn't it? I have a feeling it's got to do with the business model that they're operating on. Everything's got to be the next Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Have a series of at least three books, and and uh, someone like Rothfuss. This is pretty much the only thing he's written. You know, this this is his magnum opus. And it's no wonder that someone like him is is totally blocked right now. Uh, but uh, they they don't have the same. And I think this is what what uh, our our dearly departed co-host Brian Niemeyer was has been trying to get at on his blog is is that Did Brian Niemeyer died. The the uh, <laughs> no. Oh. Um. I, I should stop making that joke, I suppose. Uh, I'm about to say, because he, of this. He, he, no, he, he's very much kicking by his books. Okay. And they're, they're free ones, too. But um, he's been trying to get at that these traditional public, traditionally published authors don't have the correct mindset to put out the amount of work that's necessary to keep afloat. And even though you mentioned how the pulps were, you know, of middling quality just because they're just putting out so many words a day. Yep. Uh, the, the, the truth appears to be that you need to approximate that velocity. Oh yeah. Just, just to keep your name out there, just to stay afloat. And my goal is to have a new book out every, every two months. I have uh, two manuscripts that I'm in the editing phase and I am uh, four chapters into cyber Gothic. Now, this, this first book thing I've ever published has been very exciting, and my pulp speed has, has fallen to, uh, you know, a few henpecks when I can, I can uh, uh, stay in the time. But, um, yeah, uh, you are absolutely right with that. Like, I think it's also connected to the fa uh, failure of bookstores since – and, again, I'm not an economist. I'm not – I'm seeing like all the little parts moving together and I'm, I know I'm missing some things, but I think it's to do with the failure of the bookstores that they haven't moved like Jim butcher because Jim butcher is a great guy. Um, and a great writer. Like they haven't moved Jim butcher into the mindset of, Hey, you know, I know you've been working real hard on these, these Dresden file books and they're great, but every few months you drop a bit in the rankings and nobody's very few people are actually going to Barnes and Noble anymore for your books. So we kind of need you up on the top, you know, like up, up on the top of the, um, what's his, what's his uh, genre urban fantasy of the urban fantasy setting. We need you to produce something like every two months. You know, like, or which is, uh, from what I recall from the geek, uh, geek Gab with Nicole, which is what you want to hit. Um, what works against me is the fact that I, I don't really write in one genre. My next book's a fantasy, and then the next book is like post cyberpunk, and the book after that is uh, in that series is going to be um, more Princess of Mars than anything else. Uh, then there's uh, then I'm going to go into the Highlands, you know, of the asteroid belt. And cyber gothic is gothic literature. It's in, uh, in, in science fiction with no vampires. So I'm already like shooting myself in the, in the foot for that. Um, but these guys, these guys who, who have made it, like they, 
they don't really have an excuse like like I do. Like I, I work, you know, at a restaurant as as is traditional for authors, you know, while finding time in between the fam all the family stuff I have to do. And there's there's a lot of family stuff um, to to write something. Like these guys are or like this is their day job. Like congratulations, guys. You know. You're gonna be obscure eventually, and you know getting Martins is gonna sound funny, you know, for, as as a as a thing for writer's block, a little code word for writer's block, until you know everyone starts using it in the common parlance. Um, we are almost down to the end of the show, um, so I want to give uh, I want to give you guys a. Last chance to say whatever it is you feel like we all need to say for today. Test me and Sheik of Mars. Try it out. I'm I'm not going to claim it's going to be your flavor, but I will claim that you won't be disappointed in the quality. Also, check out the Super Burst of Freestarter, um, which is trying to get our publisher out to uh, Dragon Con to help sell our books uh, to the uh, costumed hordes that uh, are in that location. Um, there is a link that you can go to Amazon and purchase Shake of Mars in the description underneath the video. I appreciate it. Thank you. Any last words, John? Oh, well, thanks to our special guest, Ben Wheeler, for hanging out with us, and Daddy Warpig for being an awesome co-host. And I uh, appreciate everybody in the chat hanging out, talking with us during the show. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, thanks everyone who came and listened to the show live, and thanks everyone who's listening to this later on the podcast. This is Geek Gab. You can get us at youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab. We are also available on the iTunes store, on the Google Play store, and on soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab, and you can subscribe to us in any of those places uh, in order to have this podcast delivered to your favorite device for your listening pleasure, we are signing off for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.